Your whole life you've been choosing things other than him, but God made a way so that through the blood of Jesus himself, when he died on the cross, he defeated sin and broke its power so that now you are able to enter a new kind of life, the kind of life that you were created to live. You still, however, have to enter it. God has done everything for you, but you still have to receive it and actually enter that life that he has made available to you. This is the gospel. If you have not entered that new life with Jesus, you can do it today. God is right here, very close to us. I told you a while ago, last month when I was preaching, that we've been in a sermon series. Pastor Lyle has been preaching Uh, through the Gospel of Luke, through chapters 11 and 12. And I told you there would be a few interruptions to that sermon series, and I am the interruption. So I'm here today to interrupt you again, and and I'll be here next week to interrupt that sermon series. And what I'm going to do, what I have done, and what I will be doing, is taking a look at the book of Colossians, not going through the whole thing piece by piece, but this is something I've been going through with the youth, and I've been very deeply in the book of Colossians the last six months or so. And so uh, what I'd like to do is take a look at the whole book. We looked at it once, we'll look at it again today, and we'll look at it again next week, and take away some things from the book as a whole, some deep truths from this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. A while ago, I was talking with one of our elders This was probably, oh, I don't know, years ago now. And this elder said to me, uh, we're having a discussion about the church and things that need to change for the future or where our church is going. And this elder said to me that God works through people. And when he he first said that to me, I didn't think a whole lot of it, but it stuck with me and God kind of used it to, to grow in me and redirect my vision over time. God works through people. He doesn't work through systems, organizations, stuff, machinery primarily. He works through human beings. This is an obvious fact if you think about the Bible as a whole, that God works through people. But it's something we often get distracted from. I told you before, I've been reading... Uh, this pastor named E.M. Bounds quite a lot, and I've quoted from him before. And I want to read you a quote from him today to begin this message. And E.M. Bounds was a pastor back at the turn of the 20th century, which maybe doesn't seem like that long ago to some of you. I don't know. It seems like a long time ago to me. Uh, He's speaking in this passage, and I'll just say before I read it, he is using the word man a number of times in the passage, and he's using that inclusively. So he's not being sexist here. He's not talking only about men. He's talking about human beings when he uses the word man. And here are some things he says about the church. Ian Bounds says, We are constantly straining to devise new methods and new plans and new organizations to advance the church. The trend of this day, and he's speaking about 120 years ago, the trend of this day has a tendency to lose sight of the man or sink the man in the plan or the organization. 
But God's plan is to make much of the man, far more of him than anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. He goes on to say that what the church needs today is not more machinery or better machinery, not new organizations or more methods, but men or women whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men who are mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but he anoints men. This is an important truth because we all know how often the church and all of us are distracted by how we do things when really what's most important and what will bring the power of God to bear on the world is who we are as we do them. All right, open with me to the book of Colossians. You'll see how that applies in a few minutes. We're actually going to be taking a look mostly at chapter 2 today, the whole of chapter 2, but there will be one point where I'm going to go very quickly. Don't worry, it won't be a long time. We'll go very quickly actually through the whole book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter of four chapters. We'll be taking a look at one point at how, uh, what Paul does in all of those chapters. So open to chapter 2. Be reading from it again in a moment. I want to remind you of a few things about the letter to the Colossians. This is a letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it from prison, and he wrote it to a group of believers in a city called Colossae. And it's important to know that he had never met these people. He had never met them. We actually see that in the verses that we're looking at today, that he had never met the Colossians. And so that's important because... It indicates to us that Paul, having never met them and writing them exactly one letter, is going to make this letter very important. He's going to hit home on the things that are the most important for this church to know. This is a group of believers, we don't know how long they've been Christians, but not a very long time. Maybe some of them 10 or 20 years at the most, maybe less. And this is his one shot to tell them, what do these people need to know about life in Christ? If you're going to be a church, if you're going to follow Jesus, what do you need to know? And so when we look at Colossians, we can expect that that is what Paul is writing, the most important things. And so if there are things that we do not find in this letter, that is a strong indication to us that those things are not all that important, at least to Paul. He doesn't know these people, so he doesn't know their specific situation. In some of the other letters, he's writing about specific situations that are going on in a church, and so he'll address those, but not this one, because he doesn't know them. He's never met them. So we can expect to find in this letter things that Paul thinks are the most important. So let's move into chapter 2 now. Uh, Let me read one more time just these first, I'll read the first four verses for you, and then I'm going to paraphrase them, what Paul is saying in these four verses. Chapter 2, verse 1. 
I want you, you Colossians, to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those believers at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally, which includes the Colossians. My purpose, so the reason I'm struggling, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Then in verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. What Paul is doing here could be taken as a kind of mission statement or vision statement uh, for the church uh, that Paul is writing to. He opens up, uh, now I'll paraphrase it for you. He's opening up and he's saying, look, you Colossians, I am praying for you constantly. That was the last message that I preached, if you remember that, about a month ago. Paul goes on over and over in this letter about how much he's praying for the Colossians. In fact, he's praying for them every day. He's praying for them in a way that he describes his praying as a kind of wrestling or struggling with God for them. He's praying with other people, with his whole team of evangelists that he has with him, are praying together, struggling for the Colossians. And he expects that those prayers will turn them into the kind of people they were made to be. He, in fact, views his prayers for them as his most important work. He believes that he can work for the Colossians even though he's never met them, and even though he's not there and doesn't have any plans to go there in the near future. So he says, I'm praying for you constantly so that you can become this kind of people. What kind of people? The kind of people who are filled with love and who truly know Christ. And Paul hammers on this over and over again in this letter. That's the point. You are going to become a different kind of human being. You are going to become a kind of human being who is filled with love for the people around them and who actually knows Christ, who becomes like Christ, who lives in Christ. That's a phrase Paul used over and over again. And then he says, I'm telling you this. I'm reminding you of what the vision is, what the simple focus is, because I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. And verse 4 can be taken as a kind of thesis for all of chapter 2. This is what chapter 2 is about. As we go through it, you'll see. Chapter 2 is about Paul trying to call the Colossians away from the things that are distracting them, away from the things that are confusing them, that are trying to say, this is the most important thing, this is the most important thing. And Paul says, no, in fact, that's not very important at all, that's not very important at all, even though it may seem like it in this world. There is only one thing, a very few or even only one thing that is really important, and that is Christ himself. To become like Christ. Do not be distracted from that one goal. In another translation that I really enjoy, the contemporary English version, verse 4 reads, I'm telling you this so that you won't be fooled by fancy talk. I'm telling you these things so you won't get fooled by a bunch of fancy talk. 
If you skip down with me to verse 8 in chapter 2, you'll see that Paul continues this same theme. Well, first in verses 6 and 7, he reminds them again what their purpose is. What your purpose is, is that you've received Christ. You have become Christians. You are disciples of Jesus now. So, continue to live in Christ. Continue to follow Jesus. That's the whole point. Root your life in Christ. You should be rooted in Him and be very strong or strengthened in your faith and be overflowing with thankfulness. He reminds them again in those verses what is the simple focus of their lives. And then he says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Don't be led astray. Don't let anyone convince you, even by arguments that sound very plausible, even by arguments that make it seem like, oh, there is something else that's really important for me to follow. Don't be convinced. You don't even need to know why those arguments are wrong. You don't need to be able to defeat those arguments. You just need to know that it's not true that something else is more important than Christ. Or even very important. Christ himself is the only thing that is very important. So what is it that the Colossians were distracted by? You know, I think that this may be... (laughs) There's so many good chapters in Colossians. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Chapter 4 is, well, there's one verse I really like. Actually, a couple. It's a fantastic book. But chapter 2, I think, was a very hard-hitting chapter for the Colossians. I think this is the chapter that they read, and it kind of stuck a knife right into them. Ouch! That chapter was painful for them. But when we read chapter 2, it doesn't hit us hard today. And the reason is that we are distracted by different things than the Colossians. Very different things. Let me show you what the Colossians are distracted by. And you're going to see, this is not the type of stuff that distracts us today. The Colossians are distracted by, as we, as we go down, you'll see in verses 16 especially, and then in verses 18 and 19, the things that the Colossians are distracted by basically include obedience to the ritual laws of Israel and worship of angels and visions. So obedience to the ritual laws of Israel. So they're being distracted by uh, people who are coming and telling them that they have to do certain things in order to be okay with God. They have to eat the right things or they have to worship on the right days or they have to worship, uh, celebrate certain festivals or feasts in order to be right with God. They're being distracted by that. They're beginning to put their attention to those things instead of putting their attention simply on following Christ and knowing Him more. And again, uh, angels and visions in verses 18 and 19, we see that some of the people at Colossae, they've had such deep spiritual experiences And I'm sure many of you have met people like this. This one actually happens often today, though I don't find that it happens in our church uh, very often. This happens often today that people have such a deep spiritual experience. They maybe have a vision or they actually see an angel or they are able to prophesy something or heal someone through the power of Christ. And then that becomes their focus. 
That becomes their focus. And that is what Paul is warning against. So these are the things that are distracting the Colossians. And in verse 19, he actually says that by putting all of their attention on these things, even things that seem really good and biblical, like following the laws that God has given, or like visions and angels, Paul says in verse 19 that they have cut themselves off from Christ. He says that anything that they do that they make very important or central in their lives, if it's not Christ himself, if it's not just the few things that Paul focuses on, it will cut them off from Christ. They will no longer be part of the body of Christ. That is, if there is anything else that goes before Christ in our lives, even in terms of being very important, it will eventually destroy us. It will, in fact, lead us to hell. Now I'd like to run through the book of Colossians with you. You ready? Get yourself pumped up like this. We're going to run through the book of Colossians, and I'm going to show you the few things that Paul focuses on. Remember, this letter is his one shot to the Colossians. This is his one shot to say, here's everything you need to know about being a church and following Christ. Start with me in chapter 1. He begins chapter 1, and chapter 1 is basically this. Prayer, 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 let me tell you about Jesus. That's my summary of chapter 1. Prayer, 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 let me tell you about Jesus. He opens up saying, we're praying for you. Here's how we're praying for you. Here's what we're praying for you. It's that you would pray and know Jesus. And then again, here's why we're praying for you. And then he begins in verse 15 to talk about who Jesus actually is. What is the gospel? What has Christ done for us? He set us free from sin and death. And then who is he? He's the one who rules the entire world. He's the one through whom the entire world was created. And there is no one that is in control except Jesus. Not any human being, not any spiritual power or authority. At the end of chapter 1, he begins to talk about his work for the church and how much of a struggle he's going through. And at first it seems like he might be talking about all the church work that he does, but very quickly we find out that the struggle that he's going through, the work that he's doing, is almost entirely prayer. Prayer and then preaching the truth about Jesus. We get to chapter 2 and we see what we've just talked about. He reminds us again of prayer, prayer, and then he tells us what to not be distracted by. All of chapter 2 is about what is the truth, what is most important, and what things are not that important, you Colossians. Uh, Move away from these other things and follow Christ alone. When we get to chapter 3, he actually brings up a new theme. So far in the book, he's only had two themes, prayer and the truth. Prayer and the Word of God. Prayer and what is actually true about God. In chapter 3, he comes up with a new theme, and that theme is becoming like Jesus. So chapter 3 we'll deal with next week, and that is, this is one of Paul's great statements of how do you actually become like Christ. Prayer and uh, the Word of God are very important in that, but that's not the whole story. And so all of chapter 3 is about how to become like Jesus. And in chapter 4, as we saw last month, Paul returns again to, guess what? Prayer. He then has exactly two sentences in the letter on evangelism. Two sentences out of the whole letter on outreach and evangelism. So those are important, 
They need to be done, but they can't be done without what? Prayer, the Word of God, and becoming like Christ. I feel like a broken record. Do you feel like that yet? Paul is a broken record in this book. And then at the end of the letter, he goes through a bunch of greetings, talks about more prayer, and tells people to do whatever they hear God tell them to do. The end. So Paul writes to this church. It's a new church, relatively new church. And he's going to tell them everything they need to know about being a church, about following God. And this is all that he says. He says prayer. He says it 14 zillion times. He says the word of God, the truth. And he says, become like Christ. What I want you to notice is what kind of things he doesn't say. There is a lot that we normally spend huge amounts of time and energy on in the church as Christians and in our own lives that Paul says nothing about. And I suggest to you this morning that that means they are primarily, even though some of those things are important to some degree, they are primarily distractions. They are primarily not what is really important. And if we make them very important... We will cut ourselves off from Christ. I want to read another quote from you, and this, or for you. This one is from an author called Dallas Willard, and he also quotes another author, so there's kind of two quotes here. He also quotes another author named Laith Anderson. Listen to this. Dallas Willard says, What characterizes most of our congregations, so most of our churches, whether they're big or small in size, is simple distraction. The often noted failures of many kinds that show up within the church and around the church are not the fundamental problem. They are much more a result than a cause. Then he quotes Laith Anderson. Here's what Laith Anderson says. While the New Testament speaks often about churches, it is surprisingly silent about many matters that we associate with church and and church structure and life. There is no mention in the New Testament of architecture, pulpits, lengths of typical sermons, or sermons. The New Testament doesn't mention sermons. That's messed up. (laughs) Rules for having a Sunday school. Little is said about the style of music, the order of worship, times of church gatherings. There were no Bibles, no denominations, no camps, no pastors' conferences, or board meeting minutes. Those who strive to be the New Testament church, to be New Testament churches, must seek to live its principles and absolutes. Dallas Willard continues, Now you might ask yourself, why does the New Testament say nothing at all about matters to which the usual congregation today devotes almost all of its thought and effort? Did you hear that? Why does the New Testament say nothing about the things that most churches pay most of their attention to? The answer Because those matters are not primary, and they will take care of themselves with little attention 
whenever what is primary is appropriately cared for. Pay attention to the principles and absolutes of the New Testament church, and one might suppose everything else will fall into place. In large part because everything else really doesn't matter that much. But to fail to put the focus on the most important things, on the other hand, is to wander off into a state of distraction, which is where most of our local congregations actually are. They wind up majoring on minors and allowing the majors, from the New Testament point of view, to disappear. Paul's language is much stronger than Dallas Willard's. Paul says... They are cut off from Christ. Dallas Willard mentions many things in there that distract the church. There are many others that distract you in your personal life from the simple focus of Christ himself. In another place in Colossians, Paul says, Christ is all that matters. Many things distract us. All the things that we feel like we have to do or we need to do. Many things having to do with money. I need to have a better job, be successful, have a good retirement, buy a house. I need to. None of those things are bad in themselves, but you don't need to do them. You need to follow Christ. And whatever he leads you to do, that's what you need to do. If he leads you to do some of those things, great. If he doesn't, follow some other way. Do not be distracted. This is a primary tool of Satan. It is a way he is, he's made huge parts of the body of Christ fruitless and useless in the battle that is raging all around us. I want to close with an illustration. And this is an illustration from health clubs. I've made a couple of those before. How many of you uh, have had a membership at a health club? Like three of you. All right. Well, this will really connect with you then. All right. I grew up in a lot of health clubs. My dad managed some health clubs and owned, uh, owned a health club at one point. And so I grew up going to the gym all the time with him, playing pickleball, racquetball, started lifting weights a lot when I was in high school. And so uh, here's what happens at a health club. Uh, first of all, when you join a health club, and by the way, you shouldn't join a health club. When you join a health club, they expect that you will not show up and work out. And here's how we know that they expect it. For almost for 90% of the health clubs in North America, you can look this up, for 90% of the health clubs in North America, the business model is designed around people not working out. If everybody, if they had enough people to pay their bills, signed on as members, and all those people showed up, the facility could not handle them. You follow that? So the business model is, around, is built around you not showing up. And that's exactly what happens. So you come into a health club. You say, oh, I really want to get in shape. Can I sign up for a membership? They say, absolutely. I've got a great deal for you, and it's expiring today. Today is the last day you can get this deal. And come into my office, and you sign up for a one-year membership. They take your information, and they start deducting it out of your bank account. And you, uh, So you usually come for the first week or so. 
and then you stop coming. Now, some people come for a little bit longer and actually start to get in shape. This happens with a small percentage of people. Uh, And if that happens, the health club has a way to neutralize that because they don't really want you to get in shape. So if you actually come, you you maybe go to the health club and you think, if I want to get in shape, I need to work out. And that is actually what you need to do. So you start lifting weights or running on the treadmill, right? The guys lift weights because they want to get bigger and the girls run on the treadmill because they want to get smaller. And you, you do those things and so you actually start to have some results, right? If you're, if you're female, you start losing weight a little bit. If you're male, you say, oh, my muscles are a little bit bigger than they were. And as soon as you have some results and you've been there for a few weeks, you think, well, this is working, And the health club says, oh, now I have some ways that this can work even better for you. I have some ways it can work even better. You're doing well working out, just lifting weights and running right now. That's good, but hey, I've got stuff that's even better, and it all costs money. Uh, I can hook you up with a personal trainer, and that's going to be great for you. I can give you some supplements. You know, they're all selling all these pills and different things that you can take. Uh, They can give you some classes, and pretty soon... You've spent all your money, and you're no longer focused on working out. You're no longer focused on just lifting weights and running. You've been distracted. And you end up with people at the health club, literally, who just come in, and they maybe lift weights for about five minutes, and they get a, they get a, they get a shake, a protein shake. They drink that. Uh, they go to a little class on how to work out. And they buy some more supplements so that that'll fix their body. But they've only worked out for five minutes and they just sort of hung around the gym for two hours. And then they go home and they think how good they are. But they wonder why they aren't moving. They aren't gaining, uh, they aren't being uh, stronger or or running faster or uh, having bigger muscles or losing weight the way they did at the beginning. But the truth is, it's because they're not doing what they did at the beginning. The health club has distracted them. And the world that we live in is exactly like the health club, man. This is Satan's strategy. How many of you, when you first came to Christ, grew in Christ constantly and felt like God was all around you? And then after a little while, it feels like he's not there anymore and your faith is flatlined. Your faith will change over time. It's not exactly the same as it was in the beginning. But you do not have to stop growing in Christ. You do not have to live in a way that you feel like God isn't there or isn't listening. What you have to do is do the things that you did at first. And do not let Satan distract you from the one thing that is really important. Let's pray. Our Father God, please help us. There is no way we can retain our focus on you and follow hard after you without your help every second of the day. God, please send your spirit and be with us. Make us people who are awake to you and undistracted. God, the things that our hearts are are prone to be pulled after that are not you, Let let us die to those things, God. Let those things have no power over our hearts. And may we be the people who run after you. 
Please help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.